Well, in our text, Ezekiel chapter 22, started on this morning. And so, if you'll turn there, Ezekiel chapter 22, we're looking at verses 23 through 30 this morning, so that's where we want to start. Uh, back tonight, I'll just read that in a few moments here, and we'll uh, get into it, uh, the message, and take up from where we left off this morning. And I said in a few moments, I'd have the prayer. I always say few, because I don't know how many few is, so I can never be wrong. Okay, well, two is two moments, three moments. A few moments, you don't know how many moments that is, and I don't even know how long a moment is. So, there we go. All right. And uh, <clears throat> there's a way to get around it, so I got around it. Okay. Uh, this morning, <clears throat> as we was reading this text, we read of the prophets, the priests, the princes, and the people. And we showed how the, the prophets were like evangelists. They, they were the ones that went around and preached to the people, called to repentance and so forth. They had that thing as a prophet where they prophesied things that would happen and all that. Whereas the, <clears throat> the priests served as the pastors. They, they worked in the uh, synagogue, you might say, the, the, the temple and so forth. And they, and, and they uh, are the ones that ministered in those areas. And then the princes were like the political people that led the country, and there's a great responsibility on them spiritually before God, whether they realize it or not. And when they go away from God, uh, they're the ones leading a nation which will be turned into hell, And uh, as the Bible said, as we read this morning. And then the people representing the people of the God's house, the people of the church, the people that name the name of the Lord. And so all of those are hit in, in this passage uh, that we're going to read. And then we looked at Ezekiel chapter 33, verses 8 and 9, where he spoke of when I uh, warned the wicked of his way, I tell the wicked that he's going to surely die, you know, that he needs to repent. When I call the wicked, and if thou dost not warn the wicked, he shall die in his iniquity, but I'm going to require their blood at thy hand which we showed you is the loss of reward and shame before all the heavenly host and all those who will be in heaven. And then we saw that, but if you do give them a witness, whether they get saved or not, you've delivered yourself. In other words, you're not going to have that shame. You've saved that crown God had laid up for you. And so we see that as well. Then, so God wants a man out of all of these groups. He wants men in each group. For the sake of saving your community, saving your country, saving your home. But why don't they stand? Well, people feel being ridiculed. They'll look at me. Many are like the child in the lower elementary grades of a school that raises their hand. The teacher says, well, what is it, Joey? Susie looked at me. She looked at you. You know, and, and I mean, that, that, that's the hard thing. They looked at me. And the idea was a disapproving look or making a fun of them look or whatever it was. Going, they looked at me. And, and, of course, we kind of smile at that, and we expect that out of elementary children. But it's a shame when... People are supposed to be adult, supposed to be Christians, 
and they are lacking the spiritual maturity and as a that immature child in the elementary grade they're immature they're worried about what people are going to think about them if they take a stand for Christ they witness for Christ and they're on the level spiritually of that immature little child and so we see that there and then uh, we got into looking at those things there that could happen uh, as we neared the end of the message but tonight I want to look at our text and begin with verse 23 and the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, say unto her, Thou art the land that is not cleansed, nor rained upon in the day of judgment. There is a conspiracy of their prophets. And we point out how that's kind of like today. You have the evangelists now that they're going around, they coming down on those old standards coming down on the paths of holiness, coming down on righteousness, and talking about how we got to change. I had one evangelist that was lined up to come here back several years ago, and he wrote to me ahead of time how we got to change these things and all that. And I just wrote a letter back and just said, uh, well, if that's the way you feel, don't come. He said, God's not pleased with that, brother. I says, he certainly isn't. And then found out later he messed up a couple churches that way, at least one church I knew of. And so, uh, that was an evangelist. But also said the same thing, the prophets, the prophets who represent the, the uh, pastors. Uh, not the prophets, but I mean the priests that represent the pastors. And those priests were the same way. They were leading their churches in other ways. At one time had standards, at one time had these other things, but they wanted to be relevant to society. To be re relevant to the society, they decided, well, we've got to start doing this. We've got to let up here. We can't have these standards. We can't do this. And so, uh, in the midst uh, there of it all, it says there now, going back to verse 25, there's a conspiracy. Uh, they've, they've put their heads together. Oh, they've got plans. I get them all the time on the emails. I used to get them in the mail. How you got to do this. How you got to do that to, to get the people there. Got to find out what they want. Well, most of them don't want their sin messed with. Now, there's conspiracy of a prophets in the midst, like the roaring lion ravening the prey. They have devoured souls. They have taken the treasure and precious things, and they have made her many widows in the midst thereof. When I think of devouring souls, I think of First uh, Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, where Satan walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Yes, he wants to devour souls. He wants to devour testimonies. Her priests have violated my law, and they have profaned my holy things. That's the preacher. That's the pastor who begins to change the standards of the church. He is the one that begins to change the standards, these biblical standards that they've had for morality for separation from the world and things of that nature. And so, they have profaned my holy things. They have put no difference, no difference, between the holy and profane. That's why you have rock music in churches. That's why they have this contemporary music doing that in churches today. It happened back then. You know, this isn't a new thing today. 
Satan did the thing in the Old Testament, and he does it again today, and people still aren't smart enough, realize, not spiritual enough, to see the devil's doing these things all over again. And if they'd be in the Word and stay in the Word, maybe they'd learn those things instead of reading the Word critically to say, well, that really doesn't apply and this doesn't apply. And they've been taught in their colleges and so forth, their critical thinking, instead of truth thinking. Now, I know I get letters and notes and things like that when I say something about critical thinking. Critical thinking, uh, we had the critical race theory. Now, we've got long before that, long before that you had uh, critical thinking. Uh, John Dewey, uh, they called him the father of humanism. I don't know if he was, but he was the father, definitely, of critical thinking. Changed the education of this country, where people love their country, and now they hate their country. That was good, wasn't it? That's good for our country to hate it. That's good for our country to try to change what it was built upon. That's critical thinking. I still like the old illustration, but it's so true, it's so right. It's not really a biblical illustration, but it's a good illustration. And that is the fact that um, when they teach people how to tell whether something is counterfeit money, they show them the real thing. They don't teach them what counterfeits look like. They show them what the real thing looks like, and then you'll always tell the counterfeit. That's the way our education should be in the Word of God and everything else. See what the actual truth is and go by that truth and know that anything that tries to introduce itself, it may sound intelligent, it may sound good, but it is a counterfeit. And so don't go that direction. And so they've turned to the holy and profane. They have showed... Uh, uh, they have not showed a difference there uh, between the unclean and the clean and have hid their eyes from my Sabbaths and I am profaned among them. Even the Lord's day is now profane. Well, we don't need to have a Sunday school or Sunday morning or Sunday evening. So just once, uh, one, one, one time will do okay. You don't need a Wednesday night. You don't need those things. And so anything that can take you away from the Word of God, eliminate a Sunday school and do the things of that nature, that's what, what goes on. That's of the devil. That's of the devil. One of the best ways that I can support the devil is not to go to Sunday school. Another way is not to go to church. I just don't want to support the devil. I really don't. And if you send an email about that, We'll put that on the board for a joke. Her princes are in the midst thereof, are like wolves, ravening the prey to shed blood and destroy the souls to get dishonest gain. That's why government now works against your churches. They don't want you even preaching about abortion being murdered. They don't want you to talk about these various things there. Uh, some have tried to make it a law against it. They've made it laws in some places. I don't know how well it stood up to not be able to counsel somebody that is, uh, says they're homosexual, they say they're uh, different gender, but now they want to come out of it. God has spoke to their heart and they go for counseling. No, they're against that. That's breaking the law to try to turn somebody from back to the way of righteousness. And so you've had that, those kind of things go on in this country. They destroy souls to get on dishonest gain. Unfortunately, that's with your princes there in your passage because that's what they're doing. It, it benefits them. And her prophets have daubed them with untempered mortar, being, uh, uh, seeing vanity 
and divining lies unto them, saying, Thus saith the Lord, when the Lord hath not spoken. The people of the land have used oppression and exercised robbery, or ex, yeah, exercised robbery, and have vexed the poor and needy. Yea, they have oppressed the stranger. Now here's the saddest part of this passage. And I sought for a man. Now he's talking about a godly person. I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge. That is among the prophets. That's among the priests. That's among the princes. That's among the people. He sought for a godly man to make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, to save that land, that I should not destroy it. But I found none. Well, let's have a word of prayer. Father, now as we go into the Word tonight, I want it to be clear. I want it to be Thy Holy Spirit that brings it home to each heart to see the truth, even beyond what I'm able to say up here tonight in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Well, as we were pointing out about uh, the boy in complaining to the teacher about somebody looking at him. Today, I, I find that Christians fear the ridicule of people, and many times the people in their own church, just like the little boy in his own class, they fear the, fear, uh, the ridicule of people more than they fear the loss of reward in heaven. Some fear the loss of a job the loss of family and friends and children. And then you see children angry because their parents won't let them have what they want. And that's just part of what goes on in the world today, but it also shows us that when a parent takes a stand in the home, look, in just my years here alone, besides other places, in my years here alone, I've had, God, I had one man come up to me and say, Pastor, I'm leaving the church. I'm not going where I want to, but we'll be going there because if I don't, I'm going to lose my wife and my children. Guess what? He didn't lose as far as marriage. Didn't lose as far as his children being his children. But he lost the spiritual hope and life for his family. And the family became a mess. You see, uh, that is the thing that goes on today. And so, don't worry about you're going to lose friends, you're going to lose this, you're going to lose that. Follow the advice of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 11. I've talked about young people now, I've talked about children, little children, things like that, as examples. Why? Because 1 Corinthians 13, 11 tells us that this. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. As a Christian, you need to grow up and put away childish things. Quit worrying about what the world thinks, quit worrying about what people think, Quit worrying about what your friends may think of you. You better be more concerned, more deeply concerned about what God thinks. That's where it counts. When a church 
takes away its standards because they want to keep their young people and their young adults. That tells me the same thing as we read in the book of Isaiah, and I believe it's chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, when it tells us that children shall lead them. And that's happening too much in our churches, and that's what was happening back in Israel. Children were becoming their leaders. We have evangelists, we have pastors, we have political leaders and, and, and church people who've decided they no longer want to stand for those things for which they stood. I've seen a lot of these pastors that had standards and things like that, they go on the, uh, remember how mad some people got when President Obama went on his apology tour for America? And a lot of people didn't like that. Well, it's far worse than that. I mean, far worse than that are these preachers who once time stood as a fundamentalist and independent Baptist, supported by that, and, and got their name by that. They have gone away from that. They have st no longer stand with that. And they do their apology tour. They set out little videos and other Facebook and other things and saying, I am so sorry to those people that I preached that way. Well, at least they admitted they were a fraud. The problem is, were they a fraud then or are they a fraud now? And it just may come out, it was both ways. And so, they go these different directions. Uh, we've had evangelists, pastors, and so forth, as I said, and, and lead, leaders in church that have decided they no longer want to stand. And God looks for a man. He looks for a man in the home. He looks for a man in the church. He looks for a man in the country. He looks for those who will stand. We read in Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. Thus saith the Lord. Okay, the Lord. Understand, this is what the Lord is saying. Thus saith the Lord. Stand in the ways and see. And ask for the old paths. Where is the good way and walk therein? Okay. Lord is telling through Jeremiah the prophet Israel, look what you're getting ready to go into. You're getting ready to go into 70 years, and during Jeremiah's life, they will go into that, start the 70 year time in captivity. He said, Look. See what's going on. You better look for those old paths. Trouble's coming if you don't. He says, but if you'll look there and walk therein, ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk therein. How many times have we told some of those people, gone the other, no, you need to come back. <laughs> come back. And they'll regret those words when everyone at the judgment seat of Christ hears those words from their mouth as they're remembered before God. Yes, that is for us today as well. I look in Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 31. He says, the prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests bear rule by their means. And here's the sad part. 
and my people love to have it so. And what will ye do in the end thereof? The idea is, what are you going to do when God begins to judge? You see, judgment begins at the house of God. First Peter chapter 4 uh, tells us in verses 16 and 17, Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Matter of fact, Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10 through 12, said that you were blessed. Great is your reward in heaven. They accuse you falsely. Say all matter of evil against you falsely. Rejoice. Great is your reward in heaven. Now if the Lord says, you know, six days, every day at the end of creation, he say he saw that it was good. He saw that it was good. But the reward in heaven, he says, is great. I would say that's kind of worth staying true to the word, don't you? And so, he says, if any man suffers a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify Christ on this behalf. You see, there's a reason. For the time, verse 17, is come, that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall be the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? Oh my goodness, the rapture is so near, I believe. But the fear of man and too many is outweighing the fear of God in their lives. And that's going to be revealed. You say, Pastor, this sermon doesn't sound very loving. Oh, yes, it is. I don't want you to be ashamed at his appearing, I don't want you to be embarrassed in front of all heaven. I don't want you to put me, lose reward and everybody sees the reward that you lost that you could have had throughout all eternity in ruling and reigning with Christ and you're just saved, you're just there, saved so as by fire, the Bible says. 1 Corinthians 3 talks about counting the loss. Are you ready for that? Are you ready for that? Oh, my friend, Listen. We better be prepared. In the lives of too many Christians, God still looks, and you can't find those men that He wants to find. He doesn't want the church or the country to fall. God doesn't want America to fall. God doesn't want your home to fall. God doesn't want this church to fall. He doesn't want any of the churches to fall. But the men have to stand. They have to stand true. They've got to stick with the Word of God. Those preachers better preach it right. Those, those evangelists, those pastors, the people must stand right, have some standards back in their life. It is time to put away childish things and become mature men and women of God regarding the loss of reward. You'll find it was not worth it if you would not stand. Because the loss of reward is going to be a greater tragedy in your life than the loss of the world's love for you. Uh, listen, the world only loves you for what you can do for it, but that's it. And what you can do for it is give them Christ and they don't want that. 
Don't expect that in our church, in our country, in our homes, until first, homes, churches, have men and women of God that will stand regardless of the cost. Not quit when the fire gets heavy. I like what Martin Luther said. I should have brought the quote with me. I, I saved it on my computer, but I don't have it with me tonight. But here's the general gist of it. He says, if I cower and turn and run at the very point which Satan is attacking, then I am a coward, no matter how much and how strongly I've stood against those other points. But at the very point, if I cower, then there's a problem. And that's not even near the way the quote is, but that's kind of what the quote means. He said it so well. You see, God is looking not for a man or a woman of the world. He's looking for a man or a woman of God to stand. That's what he's looking for. Look, you can just look around you. Buses, nursery, choir, orchestra. So, well, I haven't played an instrument in many years. Well, get it out if you used to play it. You know how to play it. Get it out and play it. Work on it. Practice. At least serve the Lord somehow. And if He's given you a talent, if He's given you an ability, evidently He had a purpose for it. My talent, my ability is just for me. Well, God can take that talent and ability in a heartbeat. He has a reason that He gave you talents and abilities. I think of Brother Bill down here. and uh, This platform, this pulpit, that communion table. So much has been laid out here and work in this church, those bathrooms, all that. This this man donating his time to work and do it. Now, he can make uh, money doing those same things in other places. But I believe that he's doing it because he loves the Lord. And the talent God's given him, he's given to the Lord too. See, that is an example. That's an example of giving your talents you have. You can be a mechanic. You can be a musician. You can be so many other things. Give it to the Lord Jesus Christ. Regardless of what it is. Too many don't want to do it because it's not what they want to do in life. Why do people not go to church? Oh, they make all kinds of excuses, but the truth of the matter is they don't want to. Okay? Even those who say they're saved. They get away from it. Well, I don't, you know, I just kind of got out of the habit. Really, you know, I can be just as close to God at home as I am at church. And I want to say, well, then you're in the wrong church if you are. But maybe you shut God out even when you go to church. 
Don't want to listen. Don't want to hear anything he has to say to you through the Word of God that's preached to you. Don't expect answered prayer, if that is our heart, don't expect answered prayer when it's your loved one in the hospital. They're on a hospital bed. It's a loved one, a spouse, a child, or a, a mother, or a father, or some other person whom you care greatly for, and they need prayer. And you lack power with God because you want your way, not God's way. That doesn't work in serving God. It just doesn't work. Now, brethren, it's time to put away childish things. You know, sometimes I've heard teenagers over the years, I mean, I heard teenagers say this when I was a teenager, okay. My parents need to quit treating me like I'm a little kid. I never would have said that around my dad or I wouldn't be standing here today. Well, maybe they'll start treating you like a grown-up when you act like a grown-up. When you take personal responsibility, you do the work you're supposed to do. Quit trying to fit in with the degenerate world. Take personal responsibility for all your actions, whether they are mistakes or whether they are good or whatever. Take responsibility. Be an adult. You want to be mature, then thought of as an adult, then act like one. You've got to have your own way, be it a child. You know, even the little children are like that. Uh, we have oh, oh, little Cooper. He, he likes to take off running when places he shouldn't run. And so we'll go chasing after him. It's a fun thing. I have fun doing it. But nonetheless, uh, some of, you know, I'm still a kid. I haven't reached the ages of my my wife and my children, okay, <laughs> they're, they're far more mature than I am. I like to play with the kids, but you got to warn them, say, hey, you can't take off running. You can't run out to the road. You can't do this. It's important. But a child wants to do those things. Well, that's a child. They want to do things that, because they've never done it before, they've seen others do it, they want to do it. It's time to grow up and put away childish things. You better learn to deny your children, parents, those things as well. And they may not like it now, but they'll get to a point where I don't like my mom and daddy. I don't like because they do this, do that. Well, one day they're not going to like you when the wages of sin begin paying and their lives are full of regret and you didn't Make sure you put the foot down and take a stand in their lives. Coming back to Christ. Is the first step in our lives of his total lordship in our lives. Not that I'm just saved. No, his total lordship. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Assume personal responsibility. Teach your children to assume personal responsibility for living like a Christian and doing what they ought to do as a Christian, but you better assume it yourself so they have an example. When these children grow up, if we don't, then they'll blame. They've learned to blame others. 
and as toddlers, they'll run from you when they shouldn't, and there's a need. Let, Let me ask you, did you ever think socialism would be threatening to take over our country? And it's a real threat today. It really is. It's really pushed in our public schools. Yet when I was in public school back in the 60s, one of the things that was required for us before we could graduate from high school is we took Americanism versus communism. We had prayer in school, had Bible reading in the school. Oh, that's a bad thing. So you think it's a good thing to lie to kids and tell them that there are many different genders? You think it's a good thing to tell kids it's good to have socialism, to be under subjection to these evil things? You think it's good for them to say it's all right for pornography? You think it's good to say that? Well, well, no. Then why do you not want the Bible and prayer in the school? Look, in all that time that I was in there, now we did when I was in elementary school, we had preachers to come by. But they had cut that out, but they still had the Bible and prayer. And really, religion wasn't discussed in the classrooms. It was a public school. No, if those kids were moved, it's because there was something in the Bible that got a hold of their heart. So, yeah, you have that going on in the country today. And, you know, then you see that uh, people... Even some preachers have stood against that. Uh, That's happened in Israel. They would not stand against the evil that had entered into their land. And that's what our text is about. They lost it all. They lost it all. What about this gender identity thing? Listen, and it wasn't just when I was in high school. It's just been a few years ago that we would have said, oh, come on now. Don't be ridiculous. People really think you're crazy when you say they're going to talk about there's more than two genders, a male and female, as God made them. Oh, the science. The science. Mm. They call it science. And as the Bible says in Timothy, it's science falsely so-called. There's not 30 or more genders. If they're teaching your children that, and they're in a public school, do what you need to do to get them out of public school. Get them in a good Christian school, and if you can't afford to put them in a Christian school, at least homeschool them. But do something different than what they've got in those things. Well, you know, my children, they want to play sports. Good. Get out. They like to play basketball. Play basketball with them. Play football with them. Play softball with them. Baseball, whatever. But your morals and the things against your family is not worth putting them in a public school so they can play baseball or whatever. They can play that without having those morals and standards attacked on you. Again, you have the churches. Even churches now are going along with baby murdering called abortion. Pornography, homosexual marriage, all that that was going on 
But in the churches you got scantily clad women on the platforms singing and shaking their bodies in sexually suggestive ways. And the church is fulfilling what Isaiah chapter 5 verse 20 said. You know how they call us legalists? You know how they say all these things against us? Listen to Isaiah chapter 5 verse 20 and 21. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine. Didn't say to get drunk. Just said to drink wine. Woe unto them. And men of strength able to drink strong drink. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. There are those that call themselves preachers, and some of them are even Baptist preachers, independent Baptist preachers, say, that is not right what pastor is just preaching right now. They would call it something on the level of evil. And folks, that is what the next phrase says, that put darkness for light and light for darkness. That's why they call us legalists. They want to make truth darkness. You should avoid it. They put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine. Men of strength. I mean, it's saying it again. They dress at church in a way that is immodest and shows disrespect for God. You know what? I don't haven't said a whole lot about this, but you know, if you go to a court of law and you go in there dressed disrespectfully, the judge will put you out of there. If you get invited to the White House, you have a suit on. You have, you're dressed up. You have the kind of clothes that you ought to have on. You get invited to those things. And, you know, so often I get asked, preacher, why do you wear a coat and tie every Sunday and every day for that matter? Why do you do that? You don't have to do that. I don't know. I guess you're right. If your daughter has a formal wedding here, I'll just come here in a pair of Bermudas and a T-shirt. No. You know, if I come, that would be that. If I came in like that and they're, they're having this wedding, that would be their attitude. Not because they thought that it was against God, but because it was destroying their daughter's wedding. In other words, there's a greater respect for their daughter than there is for God. Dressing up for God's house doesn't make us good Christians. But dressing down in disrespect does not bless God's heart. It does not bless God's heart. Now look, I represent, as a pastor, I represent the Savior wherever I go. So I want to make sure that as a Christian that I am representing Him well and dressing in a way that I should dress. I, I remember in my first church, I had a man that would 
sat in the church, and it, it was kind of funny because he always wore a bandlon shirt, most of the time jeans, sometimes a pair of dress slacks, but usually a bandlon shirt and jeans. Sat in the back, when you start getting near that time, he'd start doing this, you know. And, and, but um, we had a roundup Sunday. Back then we had a roundup Sunday where everybody would dress Western, and we'd have dinner on the ground, and it's time to go out and get lost souls, get them in there and preach the gospel. And we did. We got some people saved that way. But this guy, the only time I ever saw him in church was that he wore a suit, tie, everything for that day. And I'm saying, I always thought just that's, that's the way he dressed when he came to church, when he just came there with a bandlon shirt and that. But now, he doesn't want to be identified with the people of God. And after that Sunday, he didn't come back with another suit on. And nobody said anything to him that I know of. You see, they can call us the names that they want to. They can deride it if they want to. But one day they also give an account to God. But, you know, the more important thing is we must stand in the gap, make up the hedge. God is looking for men and women who will stand. And it's not always a man or a woman who will, okay, I'm going to be a Sunday school teacher. I'm going to be this or be that. No, it's a man or woman that will say, I'm going to be what I ought to be, and the standards are going to be what they ought to be in my life. My home is going to be pure. My house is going to be pure. We're not going to allow the unholy for ourselves. We're not going to go to the places that are unholy. We're not going to go to those places that we're promoting everything that the world stands for that is against God. We're going to stand. I'm going to dress like a person. People say, well, that's got to be a Christian. And I'm not talking about having a suit and tie on. I'm just saying you dress like people know that he's a Christian, she's a Christian. I'm going to stand. God would have spared Sodom if he could have just found ten people like that, and he couldn't. What's it going to take for America? What's it going to take for our community? What's it going to take for the churches of America when judgment begins at the house of God? You see, folks, there may not be a turning of the churches in America back to righteousness. But we're not going to take our stand based on what other churches do, still going to stand on the Word of God. Stand on the Word, stand on the Word, stand on the Word, and don't change it for a thing. Allow the Word of God to be the government of your life because it always, always, always has your best in mind. Teachers, I... My school teachers, 
I'm going to share something with them in the morning. So teachers <coughs> that are here tonight, you will hear this again in the morning, in the morning devotional I have with you. You look back in the Old Testament, you see all of those laws. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. See, they're so negative. Well, it's not all negative. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God. Thou shalt remember the Lord's day to keep it holy. Thou shalt honor thy mother and thy father. And there's a lot of thou shalt that people hate too. And many times it's the same people. But what I'm saying is this. The commandments in God's word is not something to make us feel bad. It's not something of punishment. The commandments of God's Word, Old Testament, New Testament, whatever God tells us to do, is a gift from God. It's a gift. Because one day you will judge, uh, stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and you'll be thankful if you used that gift. You obeyed God, and you did God's will, God's way, God's timing. That's the key in the Christian life. Let's bow our heads tonight.